Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. Every other Sunday, we'll release an episode of the podcast featuring an interview with a business owner in the food industry. From restaurants, to breweries, to bakeries, and everything in between. We ask them about their journey and the process of becoming a successful business owner in hopes of helping others to do the same. I'm Mike Curtin, and the podcast starts now. Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so so you never miss another episode of the podcast. If you have any questions for me to ask in future interviews, you could direct message me right on the Chew Brewer Stew Instagram page. And don't forget to follow us while you're there. Thank you for joining us for episode number eight of Chew Brewer Stew. Today I sit down with Chris Miles from Pico in Rockaway, New York. Chris breaks down his journey leading to the opening of his first restaurant and how Hurricane Sandy had him starting over from scratch after the devastation. So here it is, episode number eight. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is True Brewer Stew. And I'm here today at Pico in Rockaway, New York to speak with Chris Miles. Chris, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business? Uh, how to get into the business. guess uh, I've always worked. I think I've actually consistently had a job, if you count paper routes, since uh, 10. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing that I've been without a job for I mean, been with a job consistently for 30 years, right across the street to the pizzeria that was just, uh, they bought the building, and walked in there, not knowing about anything about working in a restaurant, started busing there when I was 16, I think a little before my 18th birthday, asked me if I wanted to train as a server, uh, started serving three, four days a week, and I actually really enjoyed the business. I enjoyed, like, you know, just taking care of people. It felt good to... You know, talk to people and talk about the food and answer questions. And I mean, at one point, you know, I graduated high school, went to college for my first semester right out of high school. I went to Baruch in the city. You know, oh, I want to be a business major, whatever that meant on a broad spectrum. And uh, no one ever told me I should have taken all the city tests at age 19. But I wish I would have. Somebody told me. And yeah. Like, and my dad is, and my father was a, was a fireman too. Right. Yeah. So my dad. Heck, didn't you tell me take an environment test, or at least like sanitation or something? Right. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So continued on in the restaurant business. I was at Palm Tomatoes uh, from like age sixteen to twenty one. Made great money. Um, so then I started picking up day shifts at Kennedy's, because that's kind of where you start if the lunch is there. Okay. Uh, those were solid, and I was basically working there at 10.30 to 4, and then coming to Plum Tomatoes at 5, and working there at 5 to 10, and doing that a bunch of days a week. So then the two combined was like, wonderful money. Right. The but I can only do that. The hustle's real. The hustle's <laughs> real. And if any, I mean, nothing's easy, especially in the city of New York. I think we all know that. No. No job is uh, no job seems to be easy, and no job seems to pay enough. Yeah, right. um, soon thereafter, I transitioned to Kennedy's full time. I guess as they like felt confident in me. Money was awesome there. I was there, ended up being at Kennedy's for like nine years. I developed into like server slash manager. Benefits there were they gave me a salary, but they didn't have to pay me a full time manager salary. I mean, one year I wrote wrote down what I made, and it was I think I was uh, I was like 24, and I I mean I took home like after taxes like 70 something thousand dollars. Kennedy's I started working out when I was 21, became real close with those guys. Um, they actually offered me uh, a piece of a uh, restaurant in downtown Manhattan, um, which ended up opening uh, right on um, Stone Street, Browers. Nice. Which has since they sold, it was open, I think, I don't know, probably seven years or so. Um, at the time, somehow, I guess three uh, groups of people were foolish enough to offer me a piece of business. So honestly, I turned down all three. I just didn't feel comfortable at the time. Yeah, I guess for, for different reasons. But um, so I'm like, you know what, I'm not ready for any of that. It just seemed too crazy. Um, so I stayed at Kennedy's. So I was there from 21 to like 29. I'm like, I gotta get out of this goddamn restaurant business. I was 29, 30, uh, you know, still waiting tables. Nothing wrong with that. No. I love it. I, 
I want to open a restaurant, but like, how do I go about that? Capital building. I don't even know anything about like signing and figuring out a damn commercial lease. Or right. I, you know, it wasn't just like, okay, let's open a restaurant. Now, to this day, I find out it's way more complicated and way more difficult than I could ever imagine that it would be, right. um, especially in a city. But we all know this you know, city of New York is amazing in a lot of ways, but it's brutal in a lot of ways too. And I get it, like there has to be regulations. Like, so my partner Bill Keating, who's been my partner since um, we partnered up in 2012, um, and we can revisit that, like how that unfolded, that restaurant was at the time. Um, so his wife's a, a real estate agent, Greece. Okay, and we would chat. She's like, you know, she's like. You think about doing real estate, you know, you got the gift of gab, you like talking to people and you know, that's that's how you make money in real estate. Just give it a try. I'm like, all right, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about getting out of the business. I'm like, but at the same time, it's all I know how to do. You know, real estate sounds good. The market was booming at the time. Uh, so all the corruption in banks. Um, so like all these people making a ton of money. Let's give it a whirl. Tried the real estate thing for like a year, year and a half. Right. I hated it. Yeah, so I came back. I uh, so Bill Keating and his at the time uh, partner Johnny K, Johnny Kakarasi. Uh, this is uh, like like late it was late September, two thousand seven. So I mean, I live in Rockwood. I've been here. I'm forty now. I've lived here for forty years. Um, I always took care of Bill and his wife when I worked at Kennedy. So they knew me from there. I worked for Larice for uh, you know a, a short period of time, so she knew me from there. I guess they liked me, so they got in touch with me. Like, hey, you know, can we you know meet up with you? We went to dinner at uh, this place, Lenora. Used to be on Crossway Boulevard. Okay, like, hey, listen. So I know I know you've seen the construction going on on 129th Street. Um, they were building um, a seafood restaurant per se, uh, Rockway Seafood Company. This is 2007. So I saw the build out was going on for like six, nine months or whatever, at least. Um, they thought, you know, we're, we're looking for a manager. I never really managed a restaurant. Like I said, at Kennedy's, I was kind of like server, kind of like head waiter, I guess you'd right. say. Like, just like, kind of like babysit the other servers or I always, anyone knew what I was trained. But they're like, oh, you know, we want to, we're opening this restaurant. We'd love you as a manager. I'm like, Okay, like, uh, you know, tell me a little about it. Say so it opened like five Chinese food takeout places at the time, okay. which were all really successful. So um, they came to me with that, and I pondered on it. We talked salary, and I'm like, okay, all right. I got in touch with a few days later. I'm like, let's do it, a man. Salary sounds good. I'm excited about it. We ended up opening December seventeenth uh, of twenty uh, two thousand seven. Not too bad, considering, like, I guess that's like six, uh, six weeks later or so. Right. Uh, so we opened up, it was a sushi bar in the front of the restaurant, and kind of like, I guess like, almost like intercontinental dining, or slightly modern uh, menu from the kitchen. Okay. The chef was pretty, pretty solid, not great. The place was nice, it was brand new. Really embraced by the town. Did pretty well for a while. Um, also battled the cost of seafood, which is forever getting yeah. more and more expensive and it's perishable. So for sure. definitely uh, had its difficulties. We definitely had ups and downs. Fought um, against just, I mean, plus I never really did it before. Right. I mean, I think about like me in 2008 to now, like I knew nothing back then in hindsight nothing at all <laughs> like i was a really good server i knew how to make people happy as a server if i worked the door of a restaurant like as a host dare i call myself a manager that's why i say host like yeah. but i didn't know about running a staff and managing 15 to 30 different personalities which is like the most difficult thing uh, so that was 2007, late 2007, we opened. So it opened 2008, 2009. 
those years were okay. Um, I think uh, late 2009, I interviewed, uh, uh, we were looking for a chef. We had to let someone go, it wasn't working out. Interviewed a chef. He, we took him on, and we discovered that this guy was incredibly talented. So the food went from like, oh, it's pretty good. People walk in, and he'd be doing these beautiful seared scallops over perfectly done risotto, just, you know, with roasted asparagus and, you know, uh, roasted pepper coulis for the sauce and, like, beautiful dishes. Right. And sold at a very affordable price because we were trying to, like, bring back business. Of course. But the food was amazing for, like, 18, I think he was here for, like, 18 months, maybe, like, 21, a little under two years. Uh, so that really boosted the popularity of the place. Uh, he ended up moving on because he got a, a, a great union job offer at the Morgan Library in the city. Uh, hired someone new. He was, he was pretty decent, pretty good. So in April of uh, 2012, Bill Keating, who was not my partner at the time, he bought out his partner, Johnny Kaczorowski. Okay. Um, and I guess Bill saw me as kind of like a long time, long term investment, okay. per se. He trusted me. He knew me long enough where he felt confident that he could trust me as a, not just an employee, but he offered me partnership. So April 2012, sweet. Wow, partners in a restaurant. Yeah. Doing pretty well, you know. It was still tough because of what, what type of restaurant it was. Seafood in the kitchen and sushi bar in front. Yeah. All expensive ingredients. Of course. Super perishable. So it was always, it was always a tough business. And then... Uh, Go to all of uh, October 2012, Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. So I guess uh, I think the watermark is, let's see, I can tell by the brick. Watermark was about here. Okay. So Irene, Hurricane Irene was the year before. And anyone who lived in Rockaway or neighboring areas or even not necessarily super close areas, like, oh, Irene, like, they thought Irene was going to be terrible. Right. People evacuated, everyone boarded up their house. And then it ended up being close to nothing except for, like, I think a few small areas of local right. uh, towns. So Hurricane Sandy, we're like, all right. I mean, I was here the night before working. People were like, we're going to close early. I'm like, I mean, there's nothing going on outside. We ended up closing at like 7.30, which we could probably stay open until 10, but uh, I mean, not, God forbid. It's not, of course. <laughs> not worth risking any thing bad happening or like if someone had to get home to board up their house and not not a greedy person right. I'm not gonna stay open for an extra two and a half hour you know that two and a half hour like all right let's everyone let's get out of here you know good luck everyone touch base tomorrow I'm sure it's gonna pass over everyone's like sure it's gonna pass over nothing yeah. everyone had Irene in their head like ah it's gonna be a piece of cake meanwhile I go up to the beach at like the night before and I had a co-op on the first floor in a building on the beach and me and my friend the sandbag in the windows and we're like Looking at the waves at that night, I'm like, I hope this is the maximum of it because if this is growing, it's going to be a problem. So we all know what happened then. Right. <laughs> like I said, water up to here. So first thing, I stayed home by myself. You know, water subsides. Now everyone's walking the streets. Everyone's trying to call their friends, even though no one's cell phone for the most part works. So I'm like, all right, stop by this friend's house, stop by that friend's house. And I lived on uh, 125th at the time. So okay. it's being 129th, I was just four or five blocks away. So I walk over here. Uh, Bill just got here too. And we look at each other, we're like, ah, oh, like, holy shit. You know, doors busted open, bars up front. We're looking at the kegerator, which is like a, we had a 5K. It's like flip up. There's all this garbage prop underneath it. There's literally beer spewing out of three of the kegs right straight up into the air. Chairs all over the place. I mean, we could tell where the water line was just from like kind of, you know, the water became dirty because it's all street stuff. So you saw the water line even though the water's gone. Which means every single piece of equipment is garbage. I mean, you submerge any 
yeah. refrigerator and water. And sewage water. That's it. Much. And sewage water, pretty yeah. much. Oil, garbage, yeah. dirt. No shot. Um, we have one survivor. We have one TV on the wall still. <laughs> it wouldn't turn on the other day. And I was like, oh, no, the last survivor from Sandra, we got to turn on. We should probably buy a new TV anyway because it's not the best, but I can't let it go. Yeah. Um, means, means too much, I'm sure. Yeah, a little something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so also me at the time, like I didn't, at that time in my life, I didn't quite, I don't know if I just didn't gun and shot, but I didn't comprehend the damage that was done and what it would take to reopen. Yeah. I'm like, all right, you know, this is terrible. We'll find some money. Have insurance, right? We're gonna get some money back. Get new equipment. Open up. You know, town will get cleared out. But that was like my first day, and I don't think we were, any of us were thinking really uh, very rational or very not thinking with much intelligence. We go into the kitchen. I mean, big heavy pieces of equipment were flipped over just from the water. I mean, <laughs> house on the beach on I forget what block. They had a cool Porsche parked on the first floor, the house right on the beach, and it literally got lifted up and it ended up on the second floor. Which is, to me, that's always the story that I tell. I'm like, that is like insane. Mother nature is a crazy thing. Um, Scary. So, yeah, so we're walking around the restaurant, like, oh man. So then, the terrible part of the hurricane, we're on 129th, and right behind us, 130th Street. Uh, a total of at least 14 houses burned to the ground. Right. Um, so uh, our, the the roof in the, the back room, we caught a little fire, so we had a big hole in the roof in the fire. Um, no flood insurance, by the way. Oh. Which I'm like, I didn't really know. I knew, I knew how to run the restaurant. I didn't know about flood insurance and workers' comp and all those paperwork type stuff, behind the scenes stuff. I knew nothing about that. I'm like, Bill, we didn't have flood insurance. Don't you have to? Said, well, you don't have to. You don't really expect something like this to happen or we're not on the beach. So it's kind of like, Blessing you know, it's like, do you pay it? You know, nothing like this would have, who would have ever thought that would happen. Of course, that, that was insane. So we had the fire. Thank goodness we had the fire. You wonder why, because like, at least we got some money from the fire. Right. Maybe it ended up being, oh, we had smoke damage, so we got a little extra smoke damage to the restaurant. Okay. Like, okay, we got this. So for the next, uh, well, that was October. So now it's like everyone's taking care of their homes and their friends' homes. So we're talking about what to do, we're cleaning out the place, sanitation's killing it, doing a great job, right. collecting all the garbage. Um, and we're just trying to think of like, what, what the hell's the next step? Like, we're gonna reopen, we have a lease. What's the town going to be like? Are people going to leave? Is this going to happen again? You know? Right. So we're like, I'm like, sick. I just became a partner in a restaurant in April. And I was 32 at the time. Finally, 32, not a bad age. Pretty solid age to get involved, you know, to become a partner. Yeah, right. Not like too young, but not like it's like it took me until I was like 45. Right. I'm like... What the hell do I do now? I had some money invested in the place, you know, not a million dollars, but uh, so me and Billy, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you think we would do? And like, all oh, our minds all over the place. He owns a home. I own the co-op. They got was on the first floor. Okay. The sandbags didn't work. Yeah, there was actually I didn't think so. there was actually sand uh, about four and a half feet high filled the apartment. God, I'm kidding. So, yeah. that's insane. I really wish I take took patience with that. Anyway, irrelevant, not that important. Maybe I don't wish I take patience with it. Yeah. Um, not so I'm like, you want all right, well, and I, I had a tenant in there because I kind of outgrew it. Yeah. So I was living somewhere else. So I'm like, all right, well, I don't have a tenant. Now I can't pay that mortgage. The condo that I, the co-op that I lived in that I had just purchased as well, I'm like, can't live in that now, so I can't pay that mortgage. So I have two mortgages to pay. One I can't pay for a long time because that apartment on the first floor is never going to be fixed. Mm-hmm. My tenant is definitely leaving. There's no way he's going to live there. No one else is probably going to live there because everyone's still going to think it's going to happen again. Right. Yeah, I'm probably thinking like, I don't know, is this going to be a new thing? Um, so all our minds are all over the place, which obviously makes 
decision making that that much tougher. Right. So winter passes, we take care. We're like, listen, we can't do anything with this place yet. We don't have money. We don't know what we're going to do anyway. So me and Bill went back and forth. Uh, we had a lease for like another uh, seven years at the time. Um, we need we need so the options were either a just walk away. Figure out something with the work, something out with the landlord to walk away from the lease because of what happened. Uh, there was be people that we were being approached by people um, that wanted to take the space where maybe they could have bought us out of the lease, even right. though it wasn't very valuable to us. But if they wanted this specific, this specific, this specific spot, right. which is a unique spot for this neighborhood, it's a great, beautiful little commercial block, kind of in the center of the town. Um, so it was desirable. So like we could sell the lease and then there was the, or do we just find some money, borrow some money and open up. So actually before the hurricane, as we were battling like the cost of seafood, even when people were loving Rockaway seafood, at the end of the week, there was still, so there was like no money left. It was like, okay, we're breaking even. We were basically like owning a restaurant to have a salary, which is not the, not the plan. It's not ideal. If I want to just have a salary, I'm going to go work some more, somewhere, and then when I go home, I'm not going to think about it. So it's not, you know, I still care and I stress about it a little bit, but not like the stress of like having to pay your rent and this and that. Um, so we went to, uh, we're like, you know, oh, so we started toying around with Mexican. We thought about going Mexican before the hurricane. Okay. Uh, almost forgot about that. So we were doing, which just sounds so cheesy, we were doing like Mexican Mondays, just kind of like, you know, a little like, little tests, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, we would do quesadillas, we do tacos, uh, you know, not like 20 items, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a completely different menu, but just on the special sheet uh, to see how it was perceived by people. People were into it, so we started talking about pre-hurricane, about completely changing around and, and going Mexican. Yeah. And we're like, we think this might be able to work. The food cost is better. Uh, you know, it's easier to put out. The kitchen staff is probably easier to find for um, for the level of skill you needed. Was there anything around here that was that was actually Mexican food or um, good Mexican food? At the time, there was Rockaway Taco, okay. uh, which was a little taco shop on Ninety Sixth Street, okay. uh, which was awesome. And I mean, I don't know if you remember it, but it was as I, I guess that they would started in 2010. So it was right on 96th Street, I guess, between um, Shorefront Parkway and uh, Rockaway Beach Boulevard. Okay. Nine by like 20 feet deep. Okay. They would have a line for 45 minutes all day long. The tapas were awesome, and then they would do these like cool. Cool, like, you know, uh, agua frescas, and it just became like this cool place to go. And it was getting rid of them the Times and the Village Voice and whatever other, like, cool, like, new, you know, small New York magazine or giant New York magazine, like the Times. And it created this, like, spark towards Rockaway, which is crazy as it sounds. I've said this to a lot of people. I think Rockaway Taco is what really sparked this town. Yeah. I swear, like, it sounds <laughs> a little taco shop, amongst other things, right. but like, Rockaway was getting written up all the time. And it was like, oh, you know, Rockaway Beach, Rockaway Taco. Everyone from Brooklyn was coming down. Mm -hmm. and, um, so they were doing tacos at the time. We were obviously much different. We were a sit down restaurant, so we didn't think it was like, you know, stepping on anyone's toes or a conflict of interest or, um, you know. It wasn't like we were just like copying them. But there was, was a, there, there was a demand. For, yeah, they had, for four, they had four tacos on the yeah. menu, a quesadilla, right. and a couple of like cool juices. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a restaurant. It wasn't a sit-down restaurant. Simple. Me and Bill were like, you know what? We were afraid of the remodel and everything. Guess what? We got water up to here. Everything's garbage. We have a clean slate. So if we're going to reopen as anything... Let's do it now. Now's the time yeah. to do it. So I started doing the research, looking up just like, had a list of like 50 Mexican restaurants in New York. Uh, 
I should say 50 Mexican eateries because we wanted to hit every type of place from like the hole in the wall, like in like Corona Queens, where it's like, you know, and all like, those like, gra- like grandma cooking, right. who's been cooking great authentic Mexican food for like 50 years. And we went to Rosa Mexicana, which is like Union Square, high end. Toity toity fancy Mexican restaurant where like an appetizer is like twenty five dollars right. and uh, places like Mole, which I think is closed, like you know, medium size, casual oh, but good solid food, good cocktails. Um so and I still at the time we were still like, Yeah, Mexican, but then the next day we're like, Do we really want to do this? <laughs> yeah, Mexican, I don't know if we want to do this. Are you sure? Yeah. So uh we made a plan and we put four restaurants on the list uh, for the first night of uh, me and Bill going out to eat. Um, Joel wasn't around at the time yet. He wasn't even in, like, I guess kind of in the thoughts to come back because he's super talented, but he was in a good job at the time, so we didn't expect him to leave. Right. So I think the, the, the first Mexican restaurant we went to uh, Manhattan was Mole. So we went there, we're like, all right, margarita, enchilada, guac and chips. All right, cool. Drink, quick appetizer, check the place out, see what's going on, see what the tequila list was like. Right. On to the next. The next was Rosa Mexicana. So me and Bill are walking over to Rosa Mexicana. And we're talking. And we're like, do we really want to do this? And I guess like just like getting slightly closer, we're like, we're like, screw this. Let's just talk to blank. I don't want to name the person because they're neighborhood person, good person, okay. but let's talk to them. They really want to buy a side of the lease. I'm like, let's just do that. Walk away. We'll both figure out something. Yeah. Over the next week or so, we're like, let's do the Mexican. So we went to, we ended up going like 20, I think there was a total of 27 Mexican spots over the next really? like month or so. We contacted Joel. Asked him if he was involved. Uh, he couldn't leave his other job because it's too good, you know. Yeah. Union job as a chef is pretty, pretty uncommon. Yeah. Uh, so, but he was down to uh, do the menu. So he, we went to pay him to do, you know, consult. His wife uh, Julia uh, is a professional restaurant designer uh, and you know, home designer. Does amazing work. She works for big time chefs like David. She's done like restaurants with David Burke. You know, she gets flown to Florida. Cali, Vegas. Awesome. I mean, Joel do the menu. I know he can train people. Julie was interested in signing it. She said she'd take care of us with, you know, the friend and family discount. Right, right. And, uh, and there went that, you know. Once, like, April hit, started warm up, cleaning out the place, talking menu, talking design, applying for more permits. Um, seeing what kind of help we get from the city based on the hurricane. And, you know, we're like, we're going to be open in June. Then we're like, all right, it's looking like July. Then I'm like, it's looking like September. So uh, finally, in, in uh, October 17th of 2013, we okay. reopened as we go. Um, 50 weeks after the hurricane. Sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so we opened up. We had 50 people at the door. They piled in. Everyone waited a really long time for food. Now it was a new system. Yeah. It was the first night that anyone did anything in this restaurant, from the computer to the cooks to timing stuff. Madness. Uh, it was madness. Uh, it wasn't great, but people understood, and they were waiting for us to open. Right. And never, ever would a restaurant have 50 people in line at a door, well, you know, for the most part. And if you do, you see one table and say, okay, give us five minutes. We didn't do that. Uh, so yeah, we, we started off like that, and every day got better, and every day everyone learned a little more. And, you know, of course, we had our predictions, our hopes, what we do the first year, and I think we probably, we pretty much close to double that in the first year, which yeah. was amazing, and it, it, it felt great, and the community was happy, and, you know, everyone's like, you're reopening as Mexican? Yes. Yeah. I think uh, the, the older generation, I guess older meaning, saying like, Rockland Seafood Company had a lot of like 55 to like 75 year old, like, come in, can I have the seared salmon with just the steamed vegetable? Can I just get my steamed vegetable? I'm like, fine, whatever, that's cool. 
that older generation, like, oh, Mexicans, uh, okay, good luck, you know, I probably won't see you in there. But you know, they think everything's like burning hot, spicy. Right. People think like, oh, Mexican, like cheap ingredients, like some, you know, low grade, like ground beef taco. But our goal here is like, the goal is like, all right, it's street food, it's messy, it's tacos, it's burritos, you know, pouring hot sauce all over it, rice and beans. It's not some delicate cuisine, but you can do anything good. Right. You, know, you can do anything great, really. For sure. Because it all starts with the ingredients. And you now when we're talking with Joel, it's like, okay, we're going to do Mexican lettuce. It's going to be, you know, we're going to get organic, you know, organic chickens. We'll have a burger on the menu for someone who just wants something, you know, someone who, like, doesn't want to eat a burrito. We had a Creekstone Farm uh, burgers on the menu. We were smoking brisket for 10 hours, smoking the chicken, the whole chickens for three hours. So pull all that nice, nice chicken meat and it's super juicy. I was smoking pork shoulders for, you know, eight to 10 hours. Um, Actually, six months in, we started doing what she got most popular and the one item on the menu that I can eat all the time, even though I'm here all the time. Uh, Joel's like, yeah, he's like, I, he's like, I did this, uh, uh, this pastrami taco special once at this place. And I'm like, pastrami taco? I'm like, uh, and like your first thoughts are like, pastrami and cheese and coleslaw on a taco? But then it's like, wait, I excuse me, on a tortilla? But why not What's the difference whether putting it on a tortilla or putting it on bread? Right. You know? And to this day, the pastrami taco is the most desirable thing. Yeah. Um, and over time, grandma and grandpa, who said, hey, never, I'm not going to see you in there, came with their their daughters or their, or their grandkids. So many, we had so many of those customers calling yeah. back in, which was good to see, not just for the business sense, but for the fact that, like, oh, these, you know, yeah, for sure. They're embracing it. Love it. It's great. Was it like uh, the moment you guys opened? Was that your? Do you have like a defining moment of success for yourself? Something that kind of was just like you take. I mean, back that first night was a given. We knew people yeah. were going to be lined up at the door. The restaurant could have been terrible. It could have been the worst restaurant in the city of New York. There still would have been a line. So it doesn't matter how busy you are that first night. It matters that things end up being good, so right. people come back, you know. Oh, Which, uh, you know, even when we first reopened, we're like, well, you know, because like now we're like, oh my god, we have to recoup all this money. We have to pay this person back, pay that person back. Uh, this many months back rent, da da da. So, my partner Bill, sorry, throwing on the bus, Bill. He's like, no, we have to do like takeout, takeout and delivery. Right. And at the time, we had a little back party room plan. Party room slash, you know, if we needed extra seating for right. guests and there was no party, I was like, we're not seating in the back room. We're only seating in the regular part of the restaurant. We're not doing takeout. We're not doing delivery. First impressions are everything. First couple of weeks, people are like, oh, they're just back from the hurricane. Yeah, you know, give them some time. But if we you try and take on too much, right. it doesn't matter how much money's in the register for those that first month. You could. We could have done twice as much sales if we did take out delivery in the back room, but everyone would have hated the place because everyone got horrendous service. It's like you do it in small bits, you know. Right. We started that. We didn't do takeout for like the first six months. We didn't do delivery for like a year. So I'm like, if you can't give good service, you don't try and take on more. Yeah, you know? right. Of course. If it's a Monday in the winter and you're usually pretty slow, and you have to, and we have two servers on. Usually two servers is plenty. If it's some random night and like a table of 10 walks in and another table of eight walks in and then people are piling in for some random reason, just coincidence, like everyone decided to come here. We could have five empty tables in the back. Oh, you too? Okay. You know, just grab a drink at the bar, give us like five, 10 minutes. We all set to get you sat. Sometimes they're like, well, what about those empty tables? That, to be honest, be like, honestly, we're, you know, way busier than expected. For some strange reason, it's mob in here on a Monday and in December or January or whatever. Um, you know, if you you'll get quicker service with the drink at the bar right now, and then as soon as the servers catch up, you know, you can't take on too much. Of course, service is everything. Yeah. 
order of importance the restaurant, service, food, decor. Everyone thinks food. You assume food because that's what you go to a restaurant for, but it's all about the service. As of now, is there sort of like a competition with more restaurants opening up around um, here? Competition. I definitely wouldn't call it a competition. I mean, I live in Rockaway Beach and I love to eat and drink. My favorite thing to do. <laughs> so I want more restaurants. Right. You know what? I mean, there's a spot that's going to open across the street from us. Will there be days that a Rockaway resident or whomever is going to go there where if that didn't exist, they would have came here? Of course. Right. It's okay. It's plenty to go around. I want this town to thrive. More and more people moving here. More and more and more people are visiting here. People Airbnb here in December, January, February at my friend's house just to come down to Rockaway Beach, even though it's not the summer. This town is That's crazy. This town is blowing up. It's beautiful. I think there's plenty to go around. Yeah, is there a tipping point where I was like, okay. Do I wait? Yeah. If five Mexican restaurants open, yeah, that would be terrible. Right. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Well, I want diversity. Like, I want an Indian restaurant to open. Right. I want, like, you know, I don't know, uh, like a real, like a, an authentic Chinese food place to open. You know, I want a Korean barbecue place. Like, you know, That's yeah, awesome. hell yeah, yeah, Korean barbecue. So, Korean barbecue and Indian. Um, so, uh, competition. I'd say a friendly competition. Competition's great, yeah. you know? Listen, I, and I talk about this to a lot of people, because people are like, oh, what do you think about all the new restaurants? And everyone's always trying to get my opinion on the new restaurant. And I, you know, sometimes a new restaurant opens and it kind of sucks. Sometimes a new restaurant opens and it's awesome. Right. Never gonna tell a customer that I think this restaurant sucks. Of if it sucks, of course. they're looking for they're looking for right. me to say something bad. <laughs> they're like, it's like, they're you trying to get me to like, yeah, like, like I'm like some famous person, like, and they're trying to get me to like, like I'm like a politician. They're trying to get me to like trash another politician. Right. Like I just, no, no, I've been there. It's pretty yeah. good. It's good. Um, so the competition is great. If you're, if you're a quick, if you're a fast runner, and you're racing against someone that's really slow, are you gonna run your fastest? Probably not. If you're racing against someone that you know is usually quicker than you or equal, you're going to give your all. So it makes everyone step it up. Right. It's good. It's great for every restaurant. I mean, it's bad for some that can't keep up. Of course. And, and, you know, I don't want to see anyone do bad or fail, but on a whole, it's wonderful. I see it. I see, I see restaurants that have been here that have improved a lot, you know. Probably a combination of things. Probably mean maybe they just got better. Maybe like, hey, you know what? Maybe they hired the right manager or found someone perfect for the kitchen. But I think a, a bunch of it's to do with the fact that you know you have people coming in here. You got the concessions in the summer. They're just small, small little concessions, but most of the, a lot of those concessions are spin-offs from successful restaurants that are in Brooklyn. Right. And this, you know, male or female owner of that restaurant's like. In Brooklyn, it's like, oh man, Rockaway Beach is awesome. I love going in in the summer. We should do a concession there. And now we got more place to eat. I live on 101st Street. I can walk four blocks that way and get a breakfast sandwich at Brothers. Or I can walk four blocks that way and get an arepa or two at Caracas for, for, for lunch. Competition is wonderful. It makes everyone better. What do you, what do you think has changed the most in the last five years last five years in this town in general uh, in in the industry for you Ooh. that you have to well it's getting up. more it's getting more and more difficult um i see more regulations the city's always getting i mean the city's been difficult for a long time right labor costs is way up everyone needs to get paid i'm a firm believer of that right i think if you interviewed the last hundred servers and bartenders that have worked for me, I think, I'd like to think, would say that I, I really do, if you ask them the question, does Chris care if you, you know, walk with a lot of tips at the end of the night, if you make a lot of money, or, you know, does, does Chris get out there and, you know, 
do whatever it takes to, to help you or, you know, A, I want, you know, I've been there, I've done that. I work with managers that don't lift a pinky to help you and could care less even if you're getting your ass kicked yeah. and have, you know, eight tables where that's way too many tables for one person to have and they're sitting there watching practically. It's just not right. It's not good for anyone. Not. It's not good for the server. It's not for the, for the. It's not good for service, for the people. Right. It's not good for the service tips. Obviously, it's not good for morale for your servers, and negative negativity spreads like wildfire. So it's just no good. I mean, I have someone in the kitchen that's been here. I didn't own in two thousand seven, but I was a manager. I was like, I have someone in the kitchen who's been here for twelve years. I have people in the kitchen who've been here. Eight years, I've someone in the kitchen been for eight years. Um, half my kitchen staff now has been here since we reopened Pico. Um, I have a server who's been here. My manager, Tim, uh, he's pretty much been here since like 2010, so nine years. Laura, who's serving right now, she's been here since, since 2007. Stick and, around if you're happy. And having know. consistent staff and no turnover and People who know what they're doing, and, you know, not having to pay people, pay to train new people. Then you have new people that don't quite know what they're doing yet. And it's going to take a while. I mean, I have uh, my my guy Keon behind the bar. First, he was the first uh, new uh, hire that I did for the front of the house for Pico. Um, he's wonderful. I I mean, I've had I can probably think of seven people who have told me in the last two years that he is the best bartender, you know, quote unquote, like, not like he's a great bartender, like, he's the best bartender I've ever had. So his awesome. personality is just, it's like, it, you, you can't, you couldn't have a better personality behind the bar. He's the realest person and he's just a good dude and he hustles his ass off. So, so make, you know, having employees happy is, uh, it's super important. Back to, you know, the, I guess the, the difficult things. Uh, labor costs through the roof. Um, you know, I guess i hesitant to talk about this because I don't want to come off negatively. It's just, uh, you know, the this two minimum wages is standard minimum wage if you, you know, work at, I don't know, at a deli or if you work in, Macy's, you know, jobs like that, then there's something called tip, tip minimum wage. Right. But if you work on tips, the minimum wage is lower. And um, as long as you're making enough tips per hour to bring it up to 15, then you can legally pay them that lower minimum wage. Right now, that's uh, like $10 an hour, um, which... Our service and bartenders do well. Uh, they definitely make five dollars now in tips right. to cover that five dollar gap. Maybe right. a little, maybe a little more than that. Right. Uh, Good. Good for them. Uh, that's been going up like a dollar fifty a year of that. So you know, yeah. since uh, I mean, I think uh, ten years ago it was probably like two dollars, and, and this is just a, a, a guess. I don't really remember, but it was right around, it was right around two dollars and fifty cents an hour. Not. You know, probably like eight years ago or so. Yeah. Um, so it's going up like about 50 a year. So in just yeah. five years of operating, it's doubled. So that, you know, we have... It's tough. We got 400 hours a week in the front of the house being paid out. I'm not going to lie. It's tough. Yeah, it's, it adds it's, up. It's doubled yeah. in five years. That's, that's crazy. So, it's a hard adjustment. That's a tricky thing. I'm um, sure you're a smart guy, you know about restaurants, you went to it, I'm sure you've read, I'm sure you're somewhat well read, and I'm sure anyone watching, watching or listen, listening to this, <coughs> excuse me, have, um, have heard about like, you know, restaurants have to adjust and all businesses have to adjust. I mean, computers are taking jobs left and right. Yeah. Big companies that are ruining small companies that's left and right. Yeah. What? 
I order from Amazon all the time. It's hard not to. Of course. If I can go to like, if I need like, I don't know, masking tape so the kitchen can date everything and the bar can date everything, and I, I'll run up the block and get it. If I know they're closed on a Monday and I need it on a Monday, I hit, I hit send on Prime, you know? Yeah. Uh, computers taking jobs left and right. In some industries that it works for, and there's a lot that it doesn't. But one thing that it's it, it's making a big turn is uh, the restaurant industry going into more and more restaurants that either have the iPad on the table, which is more I think right now that's really tacky and really impersonal. That's more like an airport thing. Okay, we've seen that for a yes. little while now. Talking about beer, like a uh, Mickler brewery which is yeah. uh in the building which city field, city field is right. located yeah. you know you're going from the outside awesome addition i went there last year and uh we were looking at new computer systems for here because we weren't really happy with ours nicola if you go in either a you can you know walk up actually get online to grab a beer at the bar right yes or if you sit at a table grab the menu and your table number is right there. It says your table number. I guess I forget. It was like I don't. It was like almost like attached to the wall. It's like oh, table twenty four. So you look at the menu. It says you know, you know, just and go on. I think it was like a, whatever. Mickler dot com forward slash bbot. Bbot's the app. Okay. And you just go on your phone, and they have Wi Fi in there, of course. And everyone has a smartphone in two thousand nineteen, <laughs> pretty <Of course>. much. <laughs> yeah. And and right there is your menu. You know, it's a small version of the menu, but on the menu menu. Right. All right, I'll take a, you know, a Finback Orange Crush, 13 ounce, and I'll take a uh, other half, Citra Daydream, 13 ounce. And then it sends, it goes right to the bar, and they have a food and drink runner. Minutes later, it's there. No way. So, no it's, actually, it's actually quicker than having a server right. a lot of times I kind of like feel guilty saying that mm-hmm. so a lot of places have taken that route pay right on your card and everything you know it's very impersonal so it sucks yeah I mean like for me uh, services like I said service is the most important thing in the menu obviously the food and drink is very important too but table side service is nice to an extent at least some human at least some more extra human content right uh, sure. contact but it's getting to the point where like there's gonna be a tipping point where it's like, all right, we can't, it's like any business, we can't afford to pay all these people. Cuomo wanted to make the server tip minimum wage. I think it was 8.65 in 2018. It went up to 10 this year. He was petitioning or whatever you wanna say to make from 8.65 and on January 1st of 2019, he wanted it to be $15 an hour, like regular minimum wage. You know, because they do their research and that, oh, the average server, if they're, when it's, uh, you know, in, I'm kind of estimating figures. In, you know, 2017, when tip minimum wage was seven fifty an hour, average server in New York, they say New York, meaning New York State. Right, New York State. Not New York City, right. where obviously the cost of living is way higher, yeah. but obviously menu prices are way higher, which means tips are way higher, and people have a lot more money. And it's like, oh, average is, you know, seven fifty plus with their tips, they average $12 an hour. Again, don't quote me on that, but I'm definitely not too far off from the number that they like were saying. I'm like... Yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit. I don't know what town in New York they're taking numbers from or where they're getting their numbers from, but there's no way. I want my service to make a ton of money. I see what they make. We have a crazy night, you know. I see all the numbers. I have to report their taxes. Of course. We report everything. Everything on the credit card. This isn't 25 years ago in a restaurant where it's like cash, 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 cash. Last night, we had four servers on. Three of them, their credit card tips eclipsed 
all their cash sales. So they were actually owed money, and we pay out that night. Some right. restaurants do it in a check at the end of the week. But that was like, wow, never at night has I think, have I think even more than one server had that happen where the credit card, like they were actually owed money from the house. Right. From their tips. Where usually the cash and every year is changing significantly. Yeah. So that being said, like, I mean, Cuomo wanted to make it 15. And if you would have been successful in making it 15, first business, isn't it? Yeah. Either you adjust or you sink, you know? Yeah. It went up to 10. Big hit, you know? 400 hours a week here. Yeah. 400 times $1.50, 600 bucks. 52 times 600, it's $31,200 a year. Clear net dollars. Not a ton of money in this business anymore. And I'm certainly not complaining. I'm very happy with this business. We do great. You know, it's a beautiful place. I have fun. I love my people. I love the staff. I love the customers. Um, if it would have been $15 an hour, we would have had no choice but to put, change our computer system and do something like that. Be about that. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's, a big, that's the biggest challenge, I think, in restaurants in New York City right now. Not even I think I know. More of a challenge in the buildings department or the health department or any any permit or the increase in electric or you know national grid and gas increases and blah 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 blah. Now, you know, finding good help is it, it, tough. You know, but when you find them, you like to keep them. And a computer on the table sucks. Yes, sure does. It sucks. So, if somebody was trying to open their own restaurant. What would you recommend to them? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Advice I'd given to someone who's looking to open a restaurant, um, I'd warn them that it's really tough. And when I say I would, I've definitely talked to a bunch of people about this before because people ask me. I got a couple of kids working there right now. Like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. You know, I get it. I know growing up isn't. 80% of my friends went to college, graduated in four or five years, never used that degree, mm-hmm. became fireman, right. amazing job, became sanitation, working, you know, started bartending or whatever. Um, I'd say it's really tough. You got to prepare for, you know, a lot of hours. And there's no labor laws for how many hours you work as an owner. You don't get paid uh, double time on holidays when you're the owner. You don't get paid time and a half for those extra 10 hours if you did 50 hours in a week. Um, It's increasingly difficult. I think it's becoming more and more difficult and there's more and more adjustments to make. And, uh, you know, then I also say, you know what? I say that and sometimes I complain. I'm like, oh, man, this is so exhausting. I love it. It's a love-hate relationship. Um, But then I look at them like, what the hell is easy? Especially in this this city of New York, you know? So there's a girl that that was working at a store on a block, and she was talking about going to CIA for, uh, for pastry. She's like, oh, I want to be a pastry chef. And I'm like, okay, I was down with her. I was like, you know, the restaurant business is tough, right? That kitchen kitchen life is a really tough job. He's like, yeah, but I love baking, and I worked in the bakery before, and I really want to do it. I'm like, okay, and she's a sweetheart, and she's very, you know, very friendly. I would never discourage anyone from their dreams, but I've been doing this a while, and I'm like, just know, I know about how much CIA costs. My friend's sister. Went to culinary school for pastry. Very talented. She got a internship or job at um, Gramercy Tavern, one of the best restaurants in the city, one of the best restaurants in the country. And she gets, she's not there anymore, but she gets, she was getting get worked there. Mm-hmm. With another one working hard, but it was like high. Those restaurants don't become what they are from baby employees or letting oh, them to the side. Like, I mean, you get worked and you're making 
minimum wage. And they say there's no overtime and you have eight and a half hours in a day and your 38 minute break and you have to get this done. And if you can't get that done, you can't work anymore. So the pressure's on. But it's what you make of it. Maybe she'll start her own bakery and, and kill it one day, you know. Right. Sure. But um, you know, you just gotta as honest with people. Right. Yeah. So maybe it's best to start off in yeah. one of those high tension. But the girl situations. ended up not being. She ended up not going to pastry right. school. I was just like, hey, you want to have kids and a family? You know, you know, just I think maybe you should work in the bakery, experience a little bit more before you spend a hundred thousand dollars on a year and a half of school. Make sure. That's I think it might be something like that, like close to a hundred grand for like a year and a half, two year program. And you want to talk about a loan. Sure. I mean, uh, listen, you can go to college for four years and spend 200 grand. I don't know. I have right. friends with like, that went to law school and their loan is like a mortgage payment. So again, what the, what the hell is easy? Right. And, uh, did you happen to have a story for us? I mean, we've had customers like, I have a Laura who's actually working here right now. She's working. For me, since 2007, when we opened Rockaway Seafood, um, I've been friends with her for like 20 plus years. Uh, I remember customers kind of so obnoxious, and like we had a you know like a, a seafood pasta dish at Rockaway Seafood, and the guy's like, ah, oh, everything's cold, the clams are cold. She's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. I was like, I, she's like, feel it, feel the clam. <laughs> She's like, eat the clam. And she's like, I'm not eating the clam. She's like, she's like I, you know, we, she definitely said, like, I'm not eating clam. She's like, no, no, you know, it's fine. You know, please let me bring it back. Well, I apologize. I'll have chef. It'll be the first thing that goes on the stove. Like, we're instructed to do from those days to now. There's something's wrong with food. It's always bound to happen, especially in a busy restaurant. It's going to happen in any restaurant. I've gotten a giant bone in a two Michelin star restaurant. I pulled out of my mouth. I'm like, whoa. I pulled a, uh, you know, a metal S hook that holds together the vegetable crates in the one Michelin star restaurant. I pulled that out of my mouth like ten years ago. I was like, oh, it, it, stuff's gonna happen. It happens. No, I'm perfect. Yeah. Um, so the guy's like, you're not just gonna try the clam. You don't trust me. Like, she's like, no, I, I do trust you. She's like, I just, you know, I would love to, you know, I could take it back, or if you want me to leave it, I'll have him cook in your dish. If there's anything that you do want to eat on it, we're only gonna charge you for one. And he starts like, like he takes the clam and he's like putting it on her arm and he's like hitting her arm with it and he opened it up and he's like trying to, I don't know what he wanted to do. He like wanted to like put the, the clam pot on her elbow. I don't know, weird things happen. Some people are crazy. Sick people out there. Chris. Like taking care, <laughs> taking, take, like I said, like five times already, taking care of people in this business is amazing. It's so enjoyable, but there's always going to be jokes. Yeah. There's people that come out to have a good time. There's people that come out because they're married and they have to come out. There's you know families that do the same. There's people that are tons of fun and come out to have you know eat and drink people's birthday and they're awesome and they're like this is great. You just crank in. They go to the bar after. There's people that come out just to bust chops. Yeah, be miserable. This misery loves company is like one of the truest statements. And there's people that come out and they're like, they walk in the door and you're like, oh man, Mr. and Mrs. Jefferson are here. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, Gina hasn't been working that long. Gina, just so you know, they're going to bust your chops. They're not nice. It's just them. And, and if they tell, and if it's a customer that I don't know, it's kind of a new customer that's being a jerk or really obnoxious. Because people will be so, some people will be so obnoxious to service. I'm like, I'm not having that. Like, customer's always right. But if someone's being straight up disrespectful to one of my employees who I consider them all like, they're all either friends or like family. You know, this is, you know, we're a team here. You know, I may own the place, but it doesn't matter. We all work together, you know. And I was like, let me know who they are, and I love going over to talk to them. Because right. I, I, I like to think I'm really good at killing people with kindness. Mm-hmm. And I think I can do it to the point where I'll make a mean, nasty person feel so uncomfortable because I'm being so nice to them. Right. Even though they're trying to be so mean that they get so uncomfortable and they don't even know what to do or say. 
And that's fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, thank you very much, Phil. Hey guys, that was the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to take something away from that interview as you will with every interview. Special thanks again goes to Chris Miles from Pico in Rockaway, New York. After a long day of lounging on the beach or surfing the waves out in the Rockaways, definitely swing by this amazing Mexican spot with a great craft beer selection. Every other Sunday I'll be posting a new podcast, so stay tuned and like I said, subscribe and never miss another episode. Also, don't forget those questions. If it's something you're curious about knowing, then I want to ask it. And while you're on the IG page, make sure to give us a follow. Once again, I'm Mike Curtin for Chew Brewers Stew. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.